Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show this week, Channel 4 lays out how staff cuts will affect commissioning, fewer genres, and it's goodbye to Horse Ferry Road. But what does it mean for programme makers? Uh, also on the programme, the Rajars are in and the BBC continues to trail commercial radio. Our panel dig into the data to see who's come out on top. Uh, all that plus Universal takes on TikTok, another audio company folds, and why the Scottish press is downsizing. And in the Media Quiz, we look at the ad scoring with viewers. That's all Coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, the US news startup The Messenger has closed just a year after launching to a fanfare of $50 million of investment. Uh, the publisher was criticised after the website went dark on Wednesday, with many of its journalists unable to share their recent work. Uh, meanwhile, Sirius XM has just agreed to pay $100 million to Limitless Media and hit podcast Smartless, presented by Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, uh, and the one from Will & Grace, uh, proof that Hollywood agents are very good at their jobs. Uh, Sky is to make a 1000 engineers is redundant in the coming months as the broadcaster moves from dishes to streaming. Uh, not all the jobs lost come from installations though and some capacity will be retained for rural services. Now joining me at the London Podcast Studios we welcome back Adam Bowie. Hello. Hi Matt, how are you doing? I'm good. Now I did this last time we were on and it didn't disappoint so I will ask it again. What is your favourite stat from Rajar? Oh wow. Um, I think 54%. Is that, is that a teaser? <laughs> That's, okay, leave it there. We'll find out what 54% is later on in the show. Uh, next to Adam, uh, we welcome Faraz Osman. Hello, mate. Hello. Uh, lots to chat about Channel 4. There's always lots to chat There's about lots to chat. Channel But before 4. we chat about this, since you started doing this on YouTube, I realise I always wear the same jumper <laughs> to the media podcast. So if you ever open up a merch store, then like I feel like, like this jumper can, can be a good seller for you. I'm, I'm doing the promo for it That's now. That's good. I, 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 like... do, I promise all of your listeners and viewers, I do own more than one jumper. I do like the idea of a, a media podcast merch Let's store. Let's do it. Uh, before we go on Channel 4, though, uh, Blue Peter is open for tenders. Surprised it's up for, for tender? You Did you used to work there? I used to work there a long time ago. I did the 40th anniversary. <laughs> okay. Um, and I think it's now on the 50th year or something like that. So it was a while ago. So I worked there when it was still at Television Centre. Best days of my life. Amazing team. Incredible show. And then it went to Salford and Manchester and it now is, is up there. The Blue Peter Garden, I think, is still a roof garden. It was a roof garden. But no, I think it's, it's, now, it's, it's, it's like it's in between walking. the trams. Yes, that's right. And it's a little walkway that like, mm. so they've got all of that that's up there. And, you know, it seven, is a... Seven had a Percy Thrower probably exactly, underneath. Yeah. Like that, yeah. There's, it's, I mean, obviously, it's a cultural institution. It's one of those shows that you wonder if, 
like the parents love it more than the yeah. kids. It's it's certainly in that space. But this is part of the BBC having to tender all of those shows out. So you know when um, BBC Studios became a production company in its own right and was able to bid for work elsewhere, the deal was is that everything else they've had secured needs to be tendered out. And I think Strictly's coming up as well. So there's oh, there's lots of things that like have always got out for tender. We've already had Songs of Praise go out. The Proms went out, I think, previously. So anything that the BBC have always historically made and is continuing now has to be tendered out to production companies. BBC Studios can continue to make that show and, and make it work, but it does kind of force, in a good way, a bit of creative renewal because lots of other parties can go, hey, we can make this. Let's, I, let's do it I, this way. I was invited once to one of the Blue Peter anniversaries and I can't remember where it was. I think it was like in the Media Museum up in Bradford. And uh, whoever was the editor at that time, I can't remember who the editor was, whoever it was, was basically in charge of wrangling all of the old editors. Mm-hmm. So like, who was the famous person from the beginning? Baxter. Yeah, yeah. All of that lot. Mm-hmm. And you could tell from the look on his face that this was a curse that all Blue Peter editors <laughs> had to deal with at some point. It is fascinating because, like, it was a time when Blue Peter editors were, a like, a you know, they were a really big deal. Like, everyone knows. Billy Baxter was a household name mm. for a long time. And slowly that show is, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's lost its prestige. What's really great about it is that you can speak to other big cultural institutions, be it the Armed Forces or the Royal Family or, you know, any, anything that kind of has real scale. When Blue Peter come calling, people say yes. So their mm. level of access is enormous. The, the kind of big question mark around it is their ability to continue to connect with this generation of audiences, mm. which is, you know, it's a challenge for all children's producers. Adam, did you write off for a Blue Peter band as a child? Do you know, I never did. I don't think I ever um, thought I had done anything worthy <laughs> enough. I mean, maybe we saved up some bottle tops for one of the... Uh, you can get them on eBay the now. Things. No, you can't get them on eBay. I didn't say that. <laughs> don't go to eBay and get your blue... Make sure your kids get blue... Well, wasn't there a whole thing about getting the badges and then you got free entry into the museum? Mm. So there's actually a... Especially now museums, you know, <laughs> if you want to go to, I don't know, the zoo or something, that's actually quite expensive. <laughs> so I've got plenty of stories of my time there, which will be another podcast. Okay, and, well, and some we'll, of them I need to be anonymous to we'll, kind of repeat. We'll, we'll do that for the Patreon exclusive uh, <laughs> insight. So we've talked about it quite a lot on the show. Uh, traitors, both watching. Adam, it doesn't seem like the thing you'd watch normally. Have you partaken? Can I tell you? Yes, I have. Oh. I have. I, I didn't watch the first series, and uh, I didn't watch any of the uh, international ones, and I avoided it. And then I thought, oh, okay, I'll see what this is about. And yeah, I was watching live. I mean, <laughs> I, I was fully invested. A satisfying ending for us. I mean, I think the live thing is it's satisfying as a TV producer because you know live TV is mm. back, appointment TV is back. It's crazy that that show started after Christmas went for its whole run, and we've just got to the end of January, and it's only just finished. It feels like we've been watching it throughout the whole of the year. It is, I think it's one of the most exceptional pieces of entertainment programming that we've seen in a long time. It just had everything, almost to the level of, like, how scripted was this, because it was brilliant. I've, I'm actually now, because I'm obsessed, started watching Australian Traitors. Uh, did you watch season one of Australia? So I'm now currently watching season one, because I accidentally watched season one. Apparently season two is even is better. I really but... I really enjoyed season one of Australia, and I think it's a bit more like The Apprentice yeah. in feel. Also, budgets and quality, not quite as good. And that's the thing. The you, you suddenly mm. do this whole, oh my God, I'm so grateful for the BBC, because the level of, of attention to detail on the UK version, and I've seen the American version as mm. well, the UK version is you know, just on another level. It really is. And, and I'm not just saying that as a British producer and, you know, because I'm a, you know, a shill for the BBC. I'm like, my other thing was like deal or no deal. It's, I always find it really fascinating when you see the same format in different territories. And Traitors is one of those things where you can really see how 
when we make factual programming, it is just on another level. And it's, it's brilliant. And this season has been amazing. It's captured the attention of all audiences, no matter who they are. And, and I think it's been a great success for the Beeb. And long may it continue. Well, Until they become politicians. Don't let any of those traitors become politicians. <laughs> I did think... Can we talk about spoilers? Are we allowed sure, to talk about spoilers? If you, if you haven't seen it already, that's your fault. That is your fault. Yes. The guy that wins is like a member of the British Army. And I'm Ooh. like, I wonder if he's going to get a tap on his shoulder from his boss saying, uh, can you not be a traitor and be in the army? Or... It's great to have somebody that's so good at subterfuge. I, well, I think, given the that I think that the army is having a massive recruitment shortfall. I think actually putting members of the armed forces into these things and showing you can have great lives and so on is really positive. There's something else because part of me is thinking, hang on, surely you've got to take two, three weeks off mm. to shoot this thing. Is that just regular army leave? <laughs> Do they all get that right. thing? Or you've got to ask permission? I mean, whether he quickly leaves, I, I saw him being interviewed, um, mm. or thing with Gary Neville on BBC Breakfast the other morning, and Gary Neville is giving him media coaching, basically, <laughs> and, and, and in terms of, you know, when he gets management and stuff, and you've got to think, yeah. I will, I will say that is really interesting. It's been an absolute media phenomenon. You cannot get away mm. from this show. It's like, you know, all joking aside about how great it is, the way that they've rolled out the PR and publicity across every single network, across every single sofa, it's just been a blackout of like that show and nothing else has even had a look in. Adam, doesn't it show that with the traitors and the success they had of the scheduling, of putting some episodes on iPlayer, cross promo across Radio 2, uh, other places, you have to actually work quite hard on marketing. And it's not something I've seen TV do a great job of, particularly linear TV recently. Yeah, I think they've really lent into it enormously. I mean, obviously, I think it's it's interesting because the last season, I think, went out before Christmas. Mm. This one's come in post in that kind of slightly lull time. And, you know, when people just don't feel like going out, they're doing their Veganuaries, their, <laughs> you know, dry Januaries, all that kind of stuff. So you... But yeah, the the cross promotion you, because it lends itself to basically every radio network, every every other BBC outlet. The, there's there's reasons to lean into it. I mean, it is fantastic the way they've got behind it, and obviously, if you've just got an amazing format, brilliantly made, brilliantly produced, that just or 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 helps. Yes, absolutely. So more news around Channel 4. Cuts to staff, we talked about it last week, but have been announced, particularly around commissioning. For as much of this has been focusing on the kinds of content they believe the audiences want to stream, uh, so fewer daytime quizzes, more comedy and drama, how are they going to make it all work? Well, I mean, this is literally on the way here. This is The news is breaking. Like, Alf Laurie has just... Broadcast have just put out a note saying that it's unlikely that he will continue at Channel 4. Alf Laurie is the head of factual entertainment at Channel 4 and was widely tipped to take on this new role heading up both documentaries and uh, and factual entertainment. So it may be that the head of documentaries takes on that role or, or there's other people that get involved. I, I think that there's clearly a huge amount of uncertainty at Channel 4 as every redundancy process creates. And I think it's always important to remember the human cost mm. of these things. Like it's it's never good for any organization and a wider impact it has on the industry to have this level of jobs be put up for redundancy. But at the same time, it feels like there has been a moment of creative renewal that's overdue for Channel 4. We talked a lot about how that channel has has struggled in the ratings and, and with its identity. And I, I found it particularly interesting in, in that if you look at the statement that was put out by Ian Katz, everything in that statement, all the shows that were mentioned, were shows that were commissioned a long time ago, mm. be they Gogglebox or 24 Hours in A&E or Great British Bake Off. Um, so there is certainly a moment where something needs to happen. There's also a sense that it has become quite bloated and it's kind of ballooned in its size. Um, so all of those things together, plus the indie community, 
really having to tighten its belts and myself included having to struggle with getting commissions it it feels like unfortunately it was quite inevitable it was going to happen the question is is do these changes make it future proof and i don't just mean the business of channel 4 being future proof but also the purpose of channel 4 being future proofed as well it's all well and good saying you're going to do big glossy dramas and big documentary stuff but there's lots of other places that are doing big glossy dramas and big documentaries where are we going to see those things that allow the rest of the UK to be represented, to take risks, to kind of see those. If we're going to cut all of the ideas that are kind of lower tariff and made by smaller companies, there is a risk that we'll end up losing some of that creativity along the way. Adam, I mean, they always say that you never let a good crisis go to waste. Is there an element that some of these decisions are things they're accelerating, that they knew they'd have to do, and it's a good time to be able to head first into the streaming world? Yeah, I think undoubtedly that's the case. And I think, you know, the sort of ambitions, the sort of the targets they've set themselves for 2030 about half their revenue coming from digital and those kind of things. I think, you know, they're, you know, when you're, when you're faced with these kind of things, you have to do some of the things you don't want to do. And then you kind of go, okay, this is going to be our strategy. We'll lay out a strategy and we're probably going to leap ahead a little bit there. I guess it's bringing the audience along with it. I think, I think absolutely retaining what makes Channel 4 what it was and the reason it was set up in the early 80s and what it's bringing to everything from the indie community through to just culturally different parts of the industry because I think ITV we're talking about the uh, uh, Mr Bates versus the post office and talking about actually you know as we move into these times where everything's a co-commission with a global Mm. stream or whatever you lose that kind of specialness you know who's going to want to make something in a region with strong British accents and strong culturally important in those areas the things but it's not really going to resonate on a global scale yeah. so that's not necessarily going to cut through and that that's the kind of thing channel four can do it has done in its past and some of its great dramas and you know that's that's the challenge they've got to face uh, for us i was looking at some of the docs that they they kind of put out some of the statements and they're talking about being kind of digital first want to be 50 percent of their revenues coming from digital but it said hey digital ideas come to me in cats in the interim and we really want to concentrate on what we do on youtube and i I sort of think you know no uk broadcaster is doing anything interesting on youtube at all yeah if you disagree listeners please get in touch but like no one is replicating the feel of youtubers or what mr beast's doing or esports or like all of the things that are youtube native if they want to get into that space they are 100 miles behind. And is Ian Katz the right person to direct that development? Well, so I think first with Ian Katz, I think it's worth remembering that that it was a long time ago, but Ian Katz was the person that launched Guardian Unlimited that then became the Guardian website, arguably the most um, successful news website in the world or certainly up, up with the daily mail. Yeah. Um, and so he, he has got chops in the digital space, uh, or, albeit a web 2.0 space. Sorry, web 1.0? Two, I don't know what points we're on now, but like, you know, it's a, it is worth knowing that he, he has done stuff in that space. The, the YouTube space, there has been channel 4.0. There's lots of points, but like there has been channel 4.0, which has had numbers and it's been successful. There is a sense in the... Really? Industry. Really? Well, it's it's done well for channel 4 and for a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. This, the sense is, is that it may have done well because they bought in a lot of pre-existing YouTube talent mm-hmm. and, and that has you know been where the pipeline is. The question is, is that now they've launched it, will it continue to sustain those numbers and continue to be watched once they decide to move away from that very expensive talent that is unsustainable, I think, from, from that platform. Look, I, I, there is still definitely a sense that 
Channel 4 and broadcasting is seen as, uh, continues to be seen as a gold standard. There are lots of YouTubers that want to do something on the BBC or on Channel mm-hmm. 4 because they see it as the next career progression. And, and YouTubers in particular have a very short shelf life. There's a lot of burnout in that community. Yep. There's a lot of people that kind of want to build teams around them and then they want to start pitching TV shows. Not all YouTubers can be Mr. Beast, basically. You know, there are very few of those, but a lot of people making that content. And I, I think the challenge that broadcasters have got is that the things that are really successful on socials tend to be person-led. So kind of saying this is Channel 4's YouTube doesn't really mean much when you actually can go to Jamie Oliver's YouTube or Gordon Ramsay's YouTube if we were to use old Channel 4 personalities. Um, So that's kind of where they need to really demonstrate that they can play in that space. As a platform, Channel 4 as as an on-demand platform, in the same way that Netflix or, you know, iPlayer is, that does make sense. One other thing I think is really important, on again, it broke today, Banerjee is closing RDF. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that this really is the end of an era um, of a particular type of programming. So for, for listeners that aren't aware of RDF's work, they created Wife Swap, they created Faking It. These are shows that were very much the DNA of Channel 4. And RDF has been kind of, if you're in the industry, they are like seen as like the gold standard why they in been, the community. Why have they been chopped? So, so RDF now... Oh, is part of the Banerjee label. Mm. And Patrick Holland, who used to run uh, BBC Two, c- came in and is now running Banerjee, which looks after Banerjee in the UK. And he's announced that he's going to be uh, closing RDF. Um, and there's going to be lots of changes there. Banerjee has a lot of labels. Mm. Um, so, so RDF now make quiz shows like Only Connect and they have other labels that also make quiz shows. So there is a bit of duplication within the Banerjee stable of companies that certainly can be streamlined. But the symbolic nature of RDF going... Is, has not been lost on the indie community. And I've seen lots of messages of many kind of really high-profile execs now saying, I got my start on Wife Swap or on Faking It. That's the show that got me into television. Um, and so to see the Channel 4 cuts alongside RDF going, it creates this kind of constant sense of unease. Well, that's... speaking of storied brands, it's uh, Rajar uh, that came out this week. Uh, and the big news continues to be the shift of audiences from the BBC to commercial radio, now an 11-point lead in all listening, uh, and the continued emotion of local radio brands. Um, Adam, let's start with what everyone else is leading with, and we can then get into the more interesting data. Uh, how's Greatest Hits been doing? Uh, greatest Hits is doing great um they're up a few more percent up to about 6.8 million year on year their growth is enormous percentage wise because they've not only signed Cambridge's but rebranded a bunch of stations and that's still filtering through to a certain extent but un- undoubtedly they're they're on the upwards trend and they are the standout success story at the moment and you know bow must be thrilled over the moon i'm sure uh, one of the things i noticed was uh i was looking at the amount of listening given to different devices and so smart speakers account for about 15 percent of all radio listening which is half of what am and fm gives both that says two things doesn't it, it says smart speakers doing very well and also traditional analog radio is kind of falling off a cliff yeah i think there's i mean there's a couple of things aren't there i mean i think it, you, you rightly pointed out you know 1524s do still listen to the radio might not listen to as much as they used to but you know does a 15, 24-year-old actually have a radio mm. is a more interesting question. They possibly don't. Or even a device with a radio built in, cars notwithstanding. And even in cars, the radio can sometimes be a little bit hidden. Mm. Um, so a smart speaker makes absolute sense. You know, that is the thing you listen to the radio on. And, you know, it's not for nothing that most stations now in their promos are pushing how you listen on your various smart speaker devices. I won't use any names because it might set them off. <laughs> uh, also on that, um, there's more money 
need to be made from IP listening for the radio groups, isn't there? Yeah, completely. Uh, broadcast CPMs or CPTs in radio are lower than ones where they've got a little bit of information about you. So, and and we're seeing that across the case. I think that's that's why, um, you know, going back to some of the TV stuff we were just talking about, you know streaming is more important to most of these businesses than um, broadcast just because of those CPMs or CPTs. Uh, What else did you notice? Possibly the interesting one, some of the BBC speech stations lost a bit and you might think, oh wow, this isn't during a time of Gaza... Israel, surely that would be a massive story. I think you just need to set it against the fact this time, that time last year, we were going through three prime ministers Mm. and um, that was a really big um, story then. That said, some of the other speech stations, some of the smaller ones have done okay this time around. So while the BBC's done reasonably, LBC's lost a tiny amount, but talk radios of this world even the sort of gb newses have put on a bit i mean they're much much smaller but they're they're... i mean both those stations sort of simulcast on the telly and radio gb news uh it's done okay actually you know it's been it's sort of driving up to nearly half a million um that's about the same level as times radio isn't it which sort of hovers around half a million never seemingly able to escape that orbit and talk radio is up to about kind of 747 50 yeah so not not bad not bad for those. No, I mean, you know, the the interesting, obviously, there is an interesting kind of what's going on, that kind of relationship between a radio station and a TV station. I, I, I must admit, I tend to think more sort of talk radio as being a radio station that's visualised mm. and, you know, GB News is a TV station where they kind of strip the pictures out. And there is a there is a subtle difference there. And there's obviously some kind of crossover, you know, radio is a recall methodology. Were you watching the telly? Were you listening to mm. the radio? You know, you, you get encountered in Barb and Rajar. <laughs> I don't at the same time I don't know uh, and your stat what was it for 54 oh, it was 50 yeah it was actually 54.8 I forgot the point and that, that's actually that's, that's commercial radio's share so you mentioned it's, it's mm. now a healthy 11% lead over the BBC and you know this is high and you know it's really interesting I think that this year commercial radio's made more money than it's ever made before so it's it's kind of an interesting time that you think you know oh radio's dying surely yeah and you know commercial radio that has to play 10-15 minutes of ads is doing incredibly well i think you know when you dig into it i think and and you talked about this as well you know the real success stories are some of these decade stations obviously absolute broke the way with that but um uh heart uh is doing really well most of its digital stations have shown an uplift this time round and you know you go through the piece people finding specialist stations you know it's kind of i know what i like to listen to but it's still kind of lean back rather than the slightly more maybe lean forward of streaming service like spotify where but maybe you know obviously there are playlists there but you maybe have to think a little bit more you know i just want 80s music i'll i'll pick one of the two or three 80s stations so i've heard some rumors about a new station launch oh yeah so i've heard that um global are thinking about launching something kind of between Radio 1 and Radio 2 and that maybe they'd like to lean into talent, whereas a lot of the stations have been music orientated. Is there space for a new for a new station to splash into the market? We sort of saw that Greatest Hits signed up a load of people. Virgin Radio had done that, uh, Global with Radio X and Moyles. Are there, is there enough talent to go around to I launch th- a new brand into the market that isn't a spin-off? I think there probably is enough. I mean, a lot of talent has been, you know, at various levels. But if you look at the cuts they've been, you know, be it from, you know, syndicated uh, services through to obviously what's happened at BBC Local, there there is talent around. I think the success will be how you broadcast it. So 
you know, greatest hits, let's not forget, they've inherited a lot mm. of FM licenses. So the Bauer has changed other stations to be greatest hits. And that gives you enormous fillet because depending on the age of your listeners and how they're listening and how they're consuming, broadcast is still important. You know, DAV is important. Being on FM's handy. If Global does it, do they give up some of... Some FM. Yeah, do you turn off a capital or a heart somewhere mm. and switch it over to new brand? Or do you entirely rely on doing it on DAB where, you know, there probably is some space and obviously smart speaker? I don't know. That, that, that'll be the interesting thing to watch because, you know, if you look at something like Virgin, you know, they have got the talent, but maybe they haven't realistically had that cut through despite mm. that. And, you know, if there are on a few FMs around the country in a few key cities, maybe that would have made a difference. Uh, well, we will see. Maybe it's just a rumour. Who knows? Uh, OK, uh, one more story before the break. And Universal Music have broken cover in their negotiations with TikTok over music rights, sending an open letter expressing their concerns, uh, resulting, uh, as we record today, of all Universal artists being pulled off of TikTok. And that's basically a third of the music industry, isn't it? It's wild. I think it's a wild, wild story. And it's be really interesting to see. It's it, it feels like a Rocky film mm. where there's like an old like like boxer that's kind of going right I can still take you on and there's a young upstart that's a bit like well no we're bigger than so it'd be really interesting to see how this shakes down obviously it's a negotiation right they, they, the deal that they had with TikTok ended I believe on the 31st of January mm. and, and so here we are in February early February and they're They've decided that they've not got what they wanted. It, it gives me like kind of those thoughts about those stories you hear in America where they pull TV stations yeah. from satellite networks and they're a bit like, right to your like your service provider and say that you want this channel back. And, and I think that the question is going to be, are the Swifties and the Ed Sheeran fans going to be outraged enough to put pressure on TikTok to make a deal? Or is TikTok big enough to kind of go, we don't need this anymore I, I think it's going to be a wicked story I can't wait to see how it shakes down Adam like, if, you're, if you're a user and you're used to playing about with music which TikTok has allowed you to do it'll come as a bit of a shock that a load of your favourite uh, music you can't make that Sophie Ellis Baxter murder on the dance floor meme or you can't do anything with Taylor Swift how are users think about it I, look they're going to get frustrated they'll probably try and have backdoors around it mm. you know and I'm just going to upload the audio themselves and then we'll see how good TikTok's sort of uh, piracy business mm works behind the scenes is but there's also the other side of this you know i mean tiktok launches songs these days yeah. you know it's really big for breaking new music and now one of the majors none of their artists can break on tiktok and i think you know if you think it from the artist's point of view that that's really interesting i mean that said the, the statement that umg put out was incredibly strongly worded you know i mean but you are right ferris the, the whole kind of what you see you know when espn drops off a cable network somewhere because there's a big bust up between ABC and whichever thing you know I mean everyone becomes friends about a week later but how fast this happens will be really fascinating and for us Adam's right isn't he I mean it, artists are writing songs with TikTok in mind being kind of hook forward and a absolutely yeah, songs have got shorter because of TikTok like you know the the hook is 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 pre it's become the new chorus like albums have completely changed because of how Spotify works it's like we have seen technology literally change art and and the way that we we listen to things and the, and the music that cuts through it is i think it's a really fascinating case i think that tiktok in particular as a platform caught everyone unawares in the music industry and so they put together a deal because they wanted to kind of see how it got how it goes it has now ballooned into being the thing that as as adam says it's like really 
is pushing listenership and and what what works and what doesn't work. I don't you don't blame um, Universal from going. Look, you know, we need to look at this and see if we're getting the right deal from this because it is it is their music at the end of the day. It is, it's another like, platform, and also it's an app that sort of sort of started musically here in Europe. You know, it was a yeah. music led app. Whereas lots of ne- controversy over it as well that everyone forgets. Yeah, but, uh, but also, but but now there's a there's a you know most of TikTok is not music driven. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it's a decent flavour. So it'd be interesting to see who breaks first. We'll keep an eye on that too. Right, yeah, then we will break. There'll be money. Somebody throw a pile of money at somebody else, and they'll all be friends again, like Adam said. Uh, We'll be back with more media news after this. So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday was the anniversary of Bakelite, the plastic that changed the world. Then Tuesday marked the day a woman turned up in New York claiming to be Princess Anastasia. On Wednesday, Charlie Chaplin stepped out as the tramp for the first time. On Thursday, we uncovered the story of the first credit card. And on Friday, we celebrate 22 years since the first Pop Idol final. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you you get your podcasts. Hi there, Patrick here from Podcast Discovery. Now, if you're listening to the media podcast in Rage Our Week no less, chances are you already know a bit about radio and podcasting. You probably know just how hard it is to actually get anyone to listen to your podcasts. You might be listening to what a travesty it is that Radio Whatever only reaches 100,000 people these days and be thinking, I wish my podcast reached that many people. Well, that's where we come in. Podcast Discovery is a full-service podcast marketing agency for both editorial and branded shows. Whether it's video and socials, or PR and media buying, or even features in our popular newsletter, Great British Podcasts, we can support your marketing strategy and help you grow those listeners. The best part is, we're all podcast people, just like you. Find out more and get in touch with us at podcastdiscovery.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Welcome back. Adam and Faraz are back for some news in brief. And not a week goes by without another announcement of cuts. In Scotland, Press Gazette reports a number of redundancies on titles, the Scotsman Daily Record and the Scottish Daily Mail. Uh, Each of these owned by a different publisher. So it does feel a bit more like a symptom of the state of the industry or maybe poorly managed papers. Um, This narrative is not changing, is it, with local press? It's it's really hard to see how how it can change at all. I think, you know, this is a state of the nation in the printed media and as people you know try and cut it and we're not just seeing it in this country we're seeing it across 
across the world. I mean, there have been some severe cuts and all kinds of things going on, you know, in America as well at the moment with the papers, and we've seen it in this and country. Online, online too, messenger.com yeah, shutting down. Yeah, a couple of days ago, yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough time, and, you know, it's always interesting to see how people are prepared to pay for their news. And actually, in the UK, we're really not prepared to pay for our news outside of people buying newspapers. Obviously, there are exceptions Guardian, as you mentioned, Faris has done really well. But, you know, beyond that, no one's really got beyond the um, please subscribe and hope for the best. Uh, well, the Scottish Daily Mail is effectively closing its Sunday title and moving to a seven day operation, something we've seen happening in England in the past year. Um, can you see Sunday titles surviving? Is that. I mean, Sunday's Sunday an important day mm. and it, it, is, it remains an important day for the press. You know, if you're into sport, you know, reading, reading the football on, from a Saturday reports, that's still important for people who read newspapers. They're still the bulky ones. You know, if you want your art supplements and those kind of things or cookery supplements or, uh, you know, fashion supplements and so on, that, that's still a big part of the, the industry. I mean, in many respects, I can almost see the weekend editions hanging on longer than mm. the Monday to Friday editions, but I'm not privy. I mean, ABC doesn't seem to publish so many numbers these days, so I don't know what the numbers are like. How oh, interesting is it for us, something like FT Weekend has sort of re-emerged as a different kind of newspaper. Um, have all of these titles just got a really sort of lean into change and working out what's right for audiences today. Local titles in particular, yeah. you mean? I, I think that, well, I think we're kind of talking about two things. One is like kind of almost regional titles and then there's almost like hyper-local titles. I think regional titles still have value. Manchester Reading News and, as you say, kind of some of the papers like The Scotsman up in Scotland and th- there are kind of like specialist regional newspapers that do still have weight and cachet and the ability to break stories which is always going to be the most important thing if you're able to kind of get good journalism out that breaks stories that impacts a particular area but has national coverage then you're always going to have that level of kudos i think when it comes to hyper local news that is more problematic because I, I i have not met anybody that enjoys looking at a local news website because it is just riddled with ads and it's it's so hard to actually read the stories and they are really struggling with their journalistic output because cuts are being made left right and center you know we are getting to the point where ai is going to be starting to write those papers and actually a lot of people seem to be getting their local news from social media networks now Mm. Uh, and and actually a majority of those social media networks are owned by meta so i think that every local community has got a a facebook group for their you know their, their area and an instagram page and they've probably got a whatsapp group for their their village my view is, and if anybody from DCMS is listening, is is I, I think Meta should be. I think Meta should be doing this. Any, if anybody from Meta's listening, <laughs> I think Meta should be paying for local reporters and court reporters, and that should be a free service that they offer. That then those local groups can take real information and and then start de- dis- aggregating it that way. I think that'd be good for Meta, and I think it'd be good for local news and journalism. Uh, Adam, um, we, we talked last week um, about things like Manchester Mill and some of the spin-offs that have happened uh, from that. They're, which are doing kind of great work, newsletters, kind of pop-ups, but it's around a small number of uh, journalists rather than it being kind of larger journalistic teams. It, is there just a, does there just need to be a bit of a switch in how we think about how local news is executed? There probably is. I mean, the the, the good thing and the bad thing about those things is mm. they tend to be by a small number of really driven individuals mm. who really, really believe in it, possibly aren't doing it for any monetary gain or very limited... And that's the real challenge. What's the business? What's what's the business model behind this? I mean, absolutely. I, th- I think that you know, hyperlocal 
if you've got the right community and people can put their hands in their pockets a bit, it can really work. But I can also see that meaning that we're going to have news deserts in certain places. And, you know, if, you know, if I live in Hampstead or something, maybe there's lots of people who are willing to put their hand in their pocket. And so they get brilliant news and everyone knows who's been up in court in that, their neighbourhood, but no one else knows anywhere else. So so that's that's the real challenge. How do we level this out a, <laughs> to, use, to use a phrase across the whole country. Where, where I live uh, in Wellin, um, in a, a village just outside of Wellin Garden City, um, the new shop by the station posted a bit of CCTV uh, on the Facebook page of the, of the village. And it's a new shop who's got amazing HD cameras and basically watch these teenagers steal some chocolate bars and crisps. Uh, so he put it on there and uh, my wife was up there chatting to the guy and he said the response from that was so good that the three of them came in and apologised <laughs> and paid for the, the sweets and gave an extra pound. Amazing, um, amazing. But that would have previously been in the local newspaper, wouldn't it? Well, not only that, but the, you know, to, to go back to a story that we've all, we're all talking about, Mr Bates versus the post office mm. is the, the ultimate local news story, right? Right? Mm. And it was completely missed. It, it required a trade press, like it required Computer Shopper or Computer Weekly, Weekly yeah. to, to break that story, a technology magazine who had to look into it. But actually, where were those people going to go when they wanted to kind of tell their story? They would they, uh, Traditionally, they would have gone to their local news reporter and, and that would have started gaining momentum in that direction. I don't personally think it's great that Computer Weekly is breaking local news stories. Mm. There's, there's definitely a problem. And, and it is going to cause issues around... Uh, transparency and uh, and doing what the press do, which is holding power to account. But we can't just have it in Westminster and Holyrood and 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 you know and the bigger cities. We need to see it across the nation, and that needs to be financed in some way. Uh, staying with some sad news, another Radio India is closed this week. Boom Shakala was funded by DJ Gemma Kearney and business partner Beth Clayton. Adam, in their statement, they said they found the hoop jumping and box ticking of the commissioning process, funding and awards exhausting, uh, and that means there's less competition and less ideas. Um, they do have a point, don't they? Yeah, it's look, it's hard to get those. There's a lot of small indies chasing all these commissions as well. And, you know, if you're making sort of one off docs for BBC Radio or something, it's it's a competitive environment and often those are very small and you're living hand to mouth. You know, it's it it's undoubtedly a tough world and, you know, there's a reduced number and obviously you can the the other way is, you know, creating podcasts and doing it off your own back, but that's that's not easy either mm. because there has been an oversupply, arguably, of podcasts. So, uh, For us, another black creator-led audio business has gone uh, two in two weeks. We talked about Broccoli last week. Do you think there's anything that links the two? I, th- I think that there was a real sense that, particularly like radio, I've always loved radio because it is such an active community. And, mm. and I think that these companies were purpose-driven companies. And as things have got a bit more cutthroat and ruthless, there's you know an issue around the fact that smaller minority-led um, indies are are going to be the first at the wall, and it's a it's the same issue within the television industry right now. You know, we've talked about the cuts around Channel Four. Like, you know, I run a small indie. It's terrifying when you hear RDF. Have got, if RDF can't make it work, then then you know you worry that there's kind of little hope for for the little guys. Mm. Obviously, I would say this, but I'd be. I'd love to meet somebody who, who disagrees. These companies need to exist if we're going to reflect the whole of the nation um, and, and the pure diversity of the stories that are out there because they will break the most interesting stuff and we need to find a way that they can be more sustainable. But I think my view and the way that we're trying to run our company is 
the only way to make it work is to have a portfolio of different mediums. So you make some audio, you make some television, you make some social, and, and that way you can grow lots of different arms of a company and, and that hopefully will get you enough sustainability to move forward. I think that starting an audio-only company is a real challenge and it kind of made sense during a podcast boom, but as we start settling down from there, either we're going to find a new audio format that allows for those spaces or we have to accept the fact that we can't. We need to have more diversified creative companies to make it work. Okay, just enough time for the media quiz this week entitled Super Bowl Lovers. Uh, advertisers are priming audiences for the Super Bowl, where a lot of US marketing spend and resources are primed. But how much do you know about what's in store? So buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Faraz, you will say... Faraz. And Adam, you will say... Adam. Let's play Super Bowl Lovers. <laughs> Question number one. What have Uber Eats done to trail their Super Bowl ad? Faraz, I love this story. I absolutely love this story. So they've got the Beckhams to recreate their the, the thing that's become a meme of their documentary where David comes in and corrects his wife about how working class she is. Uh, which is not just their ad. It's a tease for their ad that's yes. coming. So we don't even know what the ad is yet, but I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a big deal. Uh, uh, yes, that's right. They got Victorian David Beckham to recreate a scene from their documentary last year. Let's take a look and listen. So David and I are going to be in a little commercial. Be honest. Be I am. honest. <sighs> OK. It's a big commercial. Tell them what it's during. David, I'm trying. No, tell them what it's during. I'm OK, it's during the big baseball game. The super big baseball game. Oh, was it the hockey ball? Hockey, hockey ball. Oh, and tell them about Jessica Aniston. <gasps> Jessica Aniston is going to be in it too. Thank you. We love Jessica. We love Jessica. Uh, for us, it's all gone a bit meta, hasn't it? It's gone crazy meta. It's also worth remembering that Brooklyn Beckham has recently signed a deal with Uber Eats. Well, it sounds like a whole so, family yeah, Uber Eats so deal. A, <laughs> it's, 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 it's wild. What uh, can't I'm, he do? I'm not sure that, like, Victoria Beckham's going to be getting any Emmy nominations anytime soon. But I don't know. There's a, I think David's got a career in acting. It's like, I'm into it. Uh, do you think it'll be the number one Super Bowl ad? Well, I mean, I don't... Well, first of all, we'll have to see what they come up with. I mean... I'll be completely honest, right? This totally went over my head when I watched this. I did not know what the clip was from because I can't stand those authorised sports documentaries. So I kind of avoid them like the plague and therefore also miss the subsequent memes. I, I, I don't know. Beckham is a big name in America, but, you know, everyone throws money, you know, never mind how much it costs to, you know, seven billion or something for the 30 second spot. It's the 20 million you spent on the ad. Yes. So we'll see. And, and how much media you can get uh, out of it. Right. Uh, question number two. Uh, which Hollywood star has Hellman's bought in for its Super Bowl coverage? Simon <laughs> Mayo. <laughs> it's good. Uh, so obviously Mayonnaise Company in America, uh, they've gone for a, Saturday, a previous Saturday Night Live star. A mayonnaise company has bought in a Saturday Night Lifestyle. <laughs> I mean, like, a previous Saturday Night Lifestyle. The Alec Baldwin? I Tina you, Fey? Uh, not a bad guess. It's Kate McKinnon. Okay. Uh, let's take a look at Kate McKinnon uh, and some mayo. Leftover chicken, scallions, cheese. What am I going to make with this? Mayo. Mayo. Hellman's. You can talk. And then she says, mayo. and boom, Hellman saves the leftovers. You lasted longer than most. 
Uh, how do we feel about that for us? I'm, it's I'm, weird. I'm, isn't I'm it? not, uh, listen, Helmans, call me. We'll get Simon Mayo to do an ad for you. Like, it's it makes more sense. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that, that Cat's Ma- the Beckham ad now looks a lot better. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, question number three. Um, how many adverts do Miller Lite say they're running during the Super Bowl? Uh, um, Adam, three. Mm. Faraz? I'm going to say Faraz, none. Uh, well, Adam is closest with three. It's a thousand. Uh, they're calling on customers to sign up online to sport a Miller Lite ad during the commercial breaks on game day. Uh, the first 1,000 eligible fans will get $100. Others who spot an ad uh, on a jersey on the big day can also scan a QR code and potentially win part of $170,000 worth of beer, money, and rewards the company is doing. Scan QR codes. It will never, will never fail, will it? <laughs> I think we're stuck with QR codes forever, aren't we? There is no escape. Even a, a pandemic couldn't kill it off. Uh, right, uh, that means it's one point each. Uh, together, you share the, the prize, which is coming up with Channel 4's YouTube strategy. Lovely. Uh, we'll have that for next week. Thank you very much. Uh, how can people keep up uh, with what your writing is, Adam? Uh, AdamBowie.com. Uh, lovely radio piece on there from this week. Uh, and for us? Uh, I'm uh, Fosman on everything and then uh, Gold underscore Waller to follow us what we're doing next we've got a show launching soon let's keep an eye out can you tell us yeah it's called Garms uh, which is a a documentary about the history of black British culture's impact on on fashion in the UK it's a brilliant piece I'm really excited about it and I can't wait for everyone to see it and who's it for it's for Paramount and My5 uh, excellent I uh, look forward to seeing that thank you both and that's it from us today at the London Podcast Studios remember you can get 25% off your first booking when you use the code MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com that's MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com for 25% off and if you're new to the show why not hit follow uh, or maybe leave us a review uh, just uh, head to podfollow.com slash themediapodcast if you don't know where to look for it uh, and if you do want to do some looking you can check us out on YouTube as well Um, And if you've got a question for next week's show, uh, send it to us via Spotify. Just open up uh, the episode in the app and there's a box there to fill in. Uh, My name is Matt Deegan. The producers were Ollie Pitt and Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. I'll see you next week. 